Arms First and the public market is a big success as the stock surges. Tech leaders like Musk, Zuckerberg, and Gates attend the AI Insight Forum, and will the healthcare industry struggle to adopt AI? I'm Jackson Fordyce, and this is Venture Daily. Arm, the most anticipated IPO of 2023, went public yesterday and the stock soared. The British chip designer opened its first day at $56, already up 10% from its initial list price of $51. Shares only went up from there and steadily rose up to a 25% bump by the end of the day. And in after hours, Arm continued to rise up another 7%. As of Thursday night, the stock sits at just below $68. Day one was a smashing success for 2023's biggest IPO, and many predict this to be a very encouraging indicator of market ready for IPOs to return. As we've covered on Venture Daily recently, the IPO market in 2023 has been at its lowest in years. So far this year, 73 companies have gone public, amounting to $14.8 billion raised. Compare that to 2021, when 397 companies IPO'd to the tune of $142 billion raised, nearly 10x 2023 so far. Will Arm's success open the IPO floodgates for many companies waiting to test the public markets? To help answer that question is Mike Packer. Hey there, uh, Mike Packer from QED Investors, uh, where I'm a partner focusing on Latin America fintech. Mike, what are your initial impressions of Arm's big first day in the public market? Uh, the initial impressions, I think, are good, right? I mean, we've had a we've had a, a period of time where we have not had a lot of IPOs, and so any IPO is getting attention. And to have something that I think, at least initial signs, looks like it's a successful IPO in the way that it started to trade, I think you can't... Uh, to use the double negative, you can't not take that as a, at least some positive sign given the, where we've come from in the world of IPOs and public markets. Why do you think the market responded so well to the ARM IPO? It's not exactly my specialty. Uh, you know, we, we invest much, much earlier in the IPO stage, but my observation is that they, they took their time with, with pricing this, this deal in, in the appropriate way. Um, you know, this is something that I think has been talked about for, for some time. And obviously, uh, whenever you have a, a firm like SoftBank uh, in, in the mix, the, there's been some attention to it. But I think it really just comes down to you know, some version of, of taking taking their, their time, getting the right buyer set up, selling the right amount of stock. Of course, this is an interesting one because SoftBank owns so much of the company. Um, but... But I, I think that that really is the, the my kind of simplistic observation. I haven't seen it uh, in the past 24 or 48 hours. Do you think today's success will serve as a beacon for the general sentiment of IPOs in the market right now? Or is this more of a one-off success story? To, to me, I think it is more of a one-off. Um, I think we, you know, that said, there are several other names that are uh, looking to list uh, I guess not quite several, but almost a handful of other names they're looking to list this month. And I think the combination of, of that, I think, is a, is a positive sign. Like I mentioned earlier, when, when you go through uh, or when we uh, collectively all right, are going through a bit of a disruption in the financial markets and pr- particularly a pullback uh, in, in the public markets and the IPO activity, any activity is good activity. So I think, again, I, I think it's a, it's a good sign. It, doesn't really change the way we're thinking about the short to medium term in terms of the IPO market for for our markets in terms of you know fintech and early stage investments. But again, it's it's hard to not take it as a positive side. 
Mike, does this bode well for Instacart and Clavio, two venture-backed startups that are expected to go public next week? Yeah, I think it has to, right? If, if I was uh, at one of those companies, or on the boards of one of those companies, you know, I'm, I'm sure they're watching uh, every activity that they can in the markets, and this being so public, so large, and with a little bit of uncertainty around it, I think that it's, it's probably giving them a, a bit of a, a sigh of relief. But, you know, every IPO is, is unique, and... Uh, all of these companies are in different sectors and different stages, and I think that they, you know, they've got to feel at least some some confidence from this. But it all comes down to how they they really executed their specific plans. Um, and you know, it looks like those those uh, those companies will find uh, kind of markets given the indications that you know, these IPOs are gonna are gonna happen. So again, I I, I don't know how much it tips the scales for them or how much better they're, they're sleeping at night, but I would, I would assume that this is a positive development for those companies. That was Mike Packer, partner at QED Investors. I appreciate your time, Mike. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me. When Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, Sam Altman, Sundar Pichai, and Bill Gates attend a meeting together, the topic being discussed is important. It may sound like a setup for a joke, but it's exactly what happened on Wednesday at the AI Insight Forum in Washington, held by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. The closed-door meeting featured several leading tech luminaries who met over 60 U.S. senators to discuss the need for legislation of AI, the technology that is, quote, potentially harmful to all humans everywhere, according to Elon Musk. Musk told CNBC that he thinks this meeting could go down in history as important to the future of civilization. Schumer was also encouraged by what was discussed, telling the press after the meeting that, quote, We come out of that room exhilarated. This was an amazing and historic experience where we learned so much. But we began our quest to deal with this so important looming issue, AI. Schumer followed that by saying, quote, I asked everyone in the room, does government need to play a role in regulating AI? And every single person raised their hands, even though they had diverse views. That gives us a message. We have to try to act as difficult as the process is. To learn more about what this meeting could mean for AI legislation in the U.S., I talked to Chase Roberts. Hi, my name is Chase Roberts, and I am a principal at Vertex Ventures. Chase, do you think we'll see AI regulations soon after these inside forums, or are these primarily for information gathering more than for devising a bill? Uh, so the effort is commendable, but I suspect it's more of a PR exercise more than anything. Uh, the There's a lot of nervousness and squeamishness about how AI is using data, and I think Congress is signaling to the American people that they're paying attention to it. And I also think that the word soon is, is uh, an interesting modifier in this context. You know, I, I'm skeptical that Congress will pass something in the near term because there's little evidence that they you know, are able to pass through regulation themselves. I think, I think the more interesting place to look is what's happening in the courts and in the executive branch. So there are a handful of copyright cases moving through the courts right now, and, and the executive branch has issued a few ex- executive orders related to you know, technology in China and, and what, what can be used there, which I think signals that you know, they're likely to start acting on this space too. So uh, so the TLDR, probably not going to see anything out of Congress soon, but I, I would suspect that there are going to be regulations coming through the courts and through the executive branch that tech companies want to pay close attention to. Musk, Gates, Zuckerberg, and Sundar Pichai were all present at the inside forums. Do you think the tech luminaries' roles in these meetings are primarily to provide insight for senators into AI technology, or are these meetups more for developing partnerships between the tech companies and lawmakers to eventually erect win-win legislation? 
Well, I think it's both. Uh, I suspect it's one part education. Most of the people in Congress don't come from a tech background, and I suspect that they're not you know, deep into understanding how these technologies work. And so I think it's commendable that these folks are you know, spending time with them and educating, educating them on the topic. But I also think that this is, you know, the, the education is going to be self-serving and you can't really fault them for this. You know, they, you know, and from their point of view, they're obligated to their shareholders to lobby what's for what's best for their companies and why this is, you know, why these conversations aren't ostensibly lobbying. They're probably providing information and guidance on what regulation should look like in a way that would be self-serving to those, to those businesses. According to Schumer, when the room was asked if the government needs to play a role in regulating AI, every single hand was raised. Is that a similar sentiment held by the VC world? So let's use two words here. So there's should they regulate and then there's ought and ought they regulate. So should they regulate? Yes. The, and, and it's not because, you know, we want uh, everything to get locked down. But I think that as an investor, we want clarity about what these regulations will be and what those impacts and the impact of those regulations on the companies that we're investing in. Now, ought to, I think, is is a more interesting question because I I tend to be a little bit skeptical that they're going to be able to, one, do the work to really understand these technologies deeply and and really conceive of the implications of the regulations that they're setting. And then, two, I'm I'm a bit wary that the regulations might become politically charged, and so I suspect that we'll start to see regulations related to equality and data privacy and versus, you know, you know stuff that might be more practical uh, for the applications that are getting built today. Chase Zuckerberg told the press that, quote, I believe it's better that the standard is set by American companies that can work with our government to shape these models on important issues. How important is that America, a country that has lagged behind most developed nations in the world when it comes to AI regulation, leads the AI conversation on the global stage? It's very important. And the reason it's important is because the internet sees no borders. Look at the GDPR regulation as an example. When these regulations were passed in Europe, it wasn't just a, it wasn't just regulations for Europe. It became something that impacted companies globally. And if I'm a company, a software company operating in the U S I'm not going to maintain one version of my software that meets U.S. regulations and one version of my software that meets European regulations. Maybe there's some things I might do from an operational uh, standpoint that's different between the two companies, but the software is still the same. And 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 so what ended up happening as a result of GDPR is all these U.S. companies basically built their privacy policies and practices around the you know the toughest regula- regulatory framework in the, in the world, which is GDPR. And so I, I think the opportunity that the U.S. has here is to set the standard for what these regulations look like, and then ideally the rest of the world will follow. That was Chase Roberts, principal at Vertex Ventures. Thanks a lot for joining the show again, Chase. Yeah, man, of course. AI is set to make considerable positive waves in the healthcare industry. That is, if healthcare workers are willing to adopt the technology. Long before AI, the health sector in the U.S. has been reluctant to implement innovations. Tried and true methods, even when they are far from the most efficient, have often endured. According to the Harvard Business Review, the trend of switchover disruptions is likely to continue in healthcare unless AI is rolled out more thoughtfully than other innovations before it. HBO offers the following three things that innovators can do to build trust with healthcare workers. 1. 
change the narrative about the purpose of AI. So many people are under the impression that AI will take human jobs. Because of this, innovators should avoid presenting new tools that substitute human decision-making. Instead, create technologies that complement the expertise of healthcare providers. AI should enable providers to expand their reach to more patients in more places. It should not be proposed as a resource that only makes our work more efficient. Two, pay careful attention to how AI applications are implemented. If the instructions to health workers are unclear on how and when it is appropriate to use the AI tech, they simply won't use it. The directions given alongside implementation are vital to adoption. Payers, health systems, and providers cannot sync their workflows without a common understanding about what the tech does, when it should be implemented, and ultimately, why it will help workers spend more time on the most important part of the job, their patients. And three, assure patients in the public that AI applications serve their needs without threatening their rights. HBR recommends that innovators promote principles for trustworthy AI. Those include that AI systems should be safe and effective, and that AI algorithms should be unbiased and promote equitable healthcare outcomes. To discuss how AI can avoid switchover disruptions and be implemented into healthcare well, I spoke with Yugi Kamblong. Hi, Jackson. So nice meeting you. I'm Yugi Kamblong, CEO and co-founder of Sophia Genetics. Sophia Genetics is a medicine software company that provides genomic and radiomic analysis for hospitals, laboratories, and biopharma institutions. Yugi, what are switchover disruptions as you understand them, and how are they a threat to AI implementation in healthcare? Yes, look, uh, I think there is definitely a lot of debate around uh, AI and beyond AI cloud as well in many industries, right? And uh, maybe even more understandable that we have these debates in healthcare because um, data are extremely sensitive. Uh, and on top of that, uh, decisions that could be triggered or influenced by AI uh, are often important decisions, right? In, uh, in particular, in uh, diseases like cancer or like rare inherited disorders. So on the flip side, uh, you know, in, in healthcare, there are a lot of data that are extremely important. And um, for many, many years, we've not been good at breaking information silos in healthcare. And I think this is really a shame because by breaking information silos through the adoption of the cloud and then while being exposed to data by computing those data with AI, one can create a collective intelligence that may help the next patient, right? And so this has been really the, the focus of Sophia for now uh, over 10 years. And we're very proud about uh, our, our impact uh, around the world, uh, which we believe it's, it's just the beginning. Uh, but it's definitely something that uh, it's extremely important to be able to uh, not only help every patient around the world, but help patients equally, right? Because if you think about it, if you don't um, apply cloud principles, uh, it means that knowledge is not being shared across institutions. And that's depending on where you live as a patient, you may not be able to get access to the same knowledge. While if uh, you deploy a cloud platform in many hospitals, break information silos, and by being exposed to data and leveraging on AI, you can bring this collective intelligence to every doctor in those hospitals. Then you give the, the patients the best chance to, to get the best diagnostics and the best treatment. What can healthcare innovators do to minimize the frequency of hallucinations and diagnostic bias in the tech they are offering to healthcare providers? So... Indeed, uh, data that are being produced in healthcare are pretty sophisticated, right? And they are not harmonious uh, depending on uh, how the data are being produced uh, by different um, uh, labs in different hospitals because they may not use the same instruments. So if you think about imaging, for example, 
Uh, it might be that if you're, while you're using a, a different uh, CT scan in one hospital, you may not get exactly the same answers as uh, what you would get in another hospital. And so again, this is where AI is really important because by uh, having an objective view on the data and maybe being able to see more than what an eye can see, uh, AI algorithms can bring objectivity and harmonize data and uh, make that any diagnostic eventually uh, in any hospital would be equivalent. The HBR article on the three things innovators can do to build trust with healthcare providers includes the need to assure patients and the public that AI serves their needs without threatening their rights. The article instructs innovators to reference ethical frameworks for AI that advise, quote, AI systems should be safe and effective. AI algorithms should be unbiased and promote equitable healthcare outcomes. Here's my question, Yugi. Ultimately, who is to decide if what the AI spits out is or is not biased or is or is not promoting equitable healthcare outcomes? That's a super important question. Uh, in the end, in the healthcare sector, if you want to have adoption of cloud and AI, you need to bring uh, an immediate and clear benefit actually to the users, which are doctors, right? And so in that sense, indeed, uh, from one side, making sure that data privacy is respected is super important. And there are many techniques that enable you to do that. The second one is making sure that the outcome of AI, AI algorithms uh, is a good outcome. And so here, the important thing is from one side to build AA algorithms um, while using benchmark data so that you can compare, if you like, the readout of the algorithm versus uh, other technologies. And second is to be able to be exposed to a lot of diversity of data. And hence, again, the importance of the cloud because the cloud enables you to be exposed to data that are being produced by different doctors, different hospitals. And why diversity is important? Because like a little bit for a self-driving car, if you want to really learn about having a, a car that drives well, you need to be able to be exposed to different situations. And so same in healthcare, while being exposed to different situations, different data uh, through the, the usage of a platform in the cloud, your algorithms can learn better and then uh, introduce less bias into the data and build, I would say, principles that can more, uh, bring more equitable solutions to different types of populations around the world. Last question, Yugi. We've all heard that AI will, over time, free us up to focus on the more important parts of our work that require a human touch. But how much time will the switchover disruptions across all sectors take before we can really get AI to work for us efficiently? Is the general population prepared to partner with AI seamlessly? Or does the narrative about AI still need to be changed substantially until we're ready for implementation? I think so. for some people it has to change. For Sophia, uh, the way our AI works really empowers the users, so to give you a sense, when a geneticist takes a decision in our platform, sometimes it takes them five minutes, while without our platform and AI, they acknowledge that it would take over 30 minutes to one hour. And uh, we never replace indeed the individuals. We rather empower them to be able to free their time and do, for example, research activities that they wouldn't be able to do uh, if they wouldn't be using our platform. And maybe as a proof point to say that AI can be good, our platform today is being used in 750 academic centers around the world, is impacting on almost 30,000 patients a month for whom we compute genomics data. And I think all what I said wouldn't work if uh, basically we, have not, we hadn't been able to build a platform that empowers people in those hospitals versus a platform that replaces people in those hospitals. That was Yugi Kambalong, CEO and co-founder of Sophia Genetics. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Yugi. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. 
Thanks for tuning in to Venture Daily. Today's show is produced by Josiah Simons and Jackson Fordyce. Our theme song was created by Benjamin Cook. If you liked today's episode, please give us an honest review wherever you get your podcasts. I'll see y'all next week.